Our reading is in three parts today. The first part is in Genesis 14, and the second part is in Hebrews 7, and then uh, also in Hebrews 7, the third part. So beginning with Genesis 14, verses 18 to 20. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And now in Hebrews 7, Verses 1 to 3. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham, returning from the defeat of the kings, and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. And then moving on to verse 17 of chapter 7. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of these priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. For his own sins, and then for the sins of the people, he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law, appointed the Son, who has been made perfect 
forever. Well, we're about to uh, gather around the, uh, the table, and I guess there's always the danger of over-familiarity. Uh, I guess many of us in the room have taken the bread and the wine many, many times uh, during our lives. And one of the ways it seems to me that we can add a sort of fresh sense of it is by looking at all the different biblical perspectives on it. Particularly, it's occasionally useful just to reflect on the, the Old Testament ways in which this meal was prefigured. It's a Passover meal. So it re- reminds us of the, the time when the Lamb's blood was shed. And of course, the Lamb's blood meant that God's judgment didn't fall on the eldest son. And of course, the Old Testament background points to Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb, the one whose blood shields us from God's judgment. We get more Old Testament background in Jeremiah, where there's the, uh, the prophecy that God will make a new covenant with the people, whereby their sins will be forgiven, whereby they can know God. And it must have been a remarkable moment when Jesus took the cup and said to his disciples, this is the blood of the new covenant. I feel like all the promises that Jeremiah had laid out, they're coming true tonight as my blood is shed. But there's another sort of intriguing Old Testament background, which I want to spend a little bit of time, just 10 minutes or so, playing with, as it were, and seeing what you make of it. Because let's have a look at this shadowy figure of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek is fascinating. Genesis 14, Abraham has been off to battle. He's had a successful battle. And then Melchizedek pops up kind of out of nowhere, really. You know, the verses that, uh, that Sally read in Genesis 14, these are the only references to Melchizedek in Genesis. He isn't a character that we've met before. He's not a recurring character who pops up in later series. Melchizedek just appears and disappears in Genesis 14. So here he is. He's the king of Salem, brings out bread and wine, and he's a priest. And he blesses Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. Praise be to God most high. Delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abram gives him a tenth. So he just pops up, and he's quite unusual in the Old Testament because he's a king, king of Jerusalem, and he's also a priest. And you don't generally get to be that in the Old Testament. You don't get to be a king and a priest. But Melchizedek is. And he comes to bless Abram, and he pops up with bread and wine. And then he disappears, vanishes, never appears again. And to be honest, you're kind of left thinking, who is he? Well, the next time he pops up is in Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is actually a fascinating psalm. It's, I think it's the psalm Jesus quotes most, I think. Um, because what happens in Psalm 110 is you get the Lord says to my Lord. So David writes this, and it's kind of intriguing as to who is this shadowy figure. So in Psalm 110, you've got Yahweh, the God of Israel, the Lord, says to somebody who is David's Lord. Who on earth is it? Who is this mysterious figure who is David's Lord? Don't really know. And this figure who is David's Lord, God says to him, as well as that he'll be a king in some of the, uh, the first verses of Psalm 110, Psalm 110 verse 4, the Lord says to this mysterious figure who is David's Lord, 
You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So remember that shadowy figure who popped up for all of three verses in Genesis? You, David's Lord, are going to be a priest in his line. And then Melchizedek disappears again until he pops up in Hebrews 6 and 7. Now, forgive me, this is supposed to be a a mini 10-minute sermon, so I'm not going to go into the complexities of Hebrews 7 and why it matters that the Levitical priesthood is succeeded by the priesthood of Melchizedek. Um, Forgive me, I'm not going to go there. But just to say that the writer to the Hebrews is again picking up this figure of Melchizedek. He, He mentions his name, that Melchizedek means king of righteousness and king of peace. He's a kingly figure. And he is without beginning or end, according to Hebrews 7 verse 2, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning or days or end of life. And if you think about the Genesis account, that's precisely right, isn't it? No idea where Melchizedek was born. No idea when he dies. He just pops up out of nowhere. He appears, as it were, and then disappears. And of course, in some ways, he becomes a figure like the Lord Jesus, the one without beginning, the one without end, the one who is eternal, the one who's lasted forever. And so you have this figure of Melchizedek. And the good news about him being without beginning, without end, is it means he's a permanent priest because Jesus lives forever because like Melchizedek he's got no beginning or ends he has a permanent priesthood just as Melchizedek seemed to last forever because we don't know when he started we don't know when he dies so Jesus lasts forever and because like Melchizedek he's a priest he will be a priest forever let me tell you why that's good news remember James making the point that we are guaranteed a good end And the reason we're guaranteed a good end is because Jesus is a permanent priest. In other words, you're not going to get to the point in 10 years' time when you sin and Jesus has stopped being your priest. He's a permanent priest. Whatever sins we commit in the future, his priestly work will be enough. We don't need another sacrifice because he and his sacrifice stands before the throne of God forever and ever. And the writer to the Hebrews puts it like this. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Or verse 25, just before that, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him. I don't know about you, I feel permanently needy. <laughs> because, let's be honest, I still fall short again and again and again. My guess is you do as well. We are needy as we come to God, and yet this high priest in the order of Melchizedek completely meets our need because he's the king, the king of righteousness, the king of peace, because he is without beginning and end, because he is a priest who is forever. He's permanently sufficient for all our sins. Such a high priest truly meets our need. Now, just as we begin to think about communion, two things. Firstly, doesn't it excite you the way the Bible's put together? Occasionally I imagine the sort of editorial conference around Genesis. 
And there's the, the narrator, may well be Moses, but, but, but he's there, and, and the kind of, hey Moses, can you, can you help us out a bit? Could you just amplify the Melchizedek bit a bit? You know, can't you give us some context? Can't you give us some background? Can't you tell us where he came from and what happens after he just pops up for three verses and disappears? I mean, he seems quite an important guy. Can't you tell us more? And he kind of says, oh, I don't know, I've just got this feeling within me. Might, might be God sort of just saying, saying, leave it there, leave him as this shadowy figure. Uh, and this Psalm 110, da- David, who, who, sorry, who is this Lord who's in the order of Melchizedek? Do you want to help us out a bit because it feels a bit mysterious? No, I think, I think God's telling me just to leave that there. And then Jesus appears, who is... David's Lord, and yet addressed by Yahweh, Father. This Jesus appears, who is both king and priest. This Jesus appears, who, without beginning, without end, is going to be a priest forever. Don't you love the way the Bible fits together? It's almost as though there's a divine mind behind it. But here's the tantalizing bit. Remember Genesis 14? Then, a, uh, then Melchizedek approaches Abraham to bless him with bread and wine. And that, I don't know, it's just intriguing, isn't it, as we meet around the table? Sadly, Hebrews doesn't pick it up. And that's why it's intriguing, actually. The New Testament doesn't pick that up, actually. It doesn't say, ah, here's why Melchizedek is like Jesus, because he's got bread and wine with him. Actually, the New Testament doesn't ever pick that up. But it's intriguing, isn't it? Because as we gather around the table, don't you want to think of one who is the king of righteousness and the king of peace? Don't you want to think of somebody who is without beginning and without end? Don't you want to think of somebody who's a priest forever, whose sacrifice is eternally sufficient, coming and saying to us, hey, I want to bless you guys with bread and wine. Isn't that what Jesus does, actually? This Melchizedek figure saying, I want to come and bless you with bread and wine that speak of my body and blood. And boy, aren't we blessed as we receive them. <laughs> yeah, as we receive all that Jesus did in his death, aren't we blessed by that? Now, Abraham gives a tenth of everything he's got to Melchizedek, and there probably is an application about us giving to the Lord as we're blessed by him. But maybe for now, we just want to rejoice that we've got a king priest who comes to bless us with bread and wine. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. You are a king without beginning and without end. And we thank you that even now here you come to bless us. And we're simply the recipients of your blessing. Thank you that you bless us, as it were, with bread and wine that speaks of your body and your blood. And so we praise you. We want to receive your blessing. We want to give back to you. But firstly, Lord, we want to receive that great blessing from you as we worship you. Amen.